Thank you, Lowell. I do count it a privilege to be here. For anybody who's not familiar with us, Phil Segrist family, and Lewis, I'm 47, by the way. Yep, 47, I'm sure about that. Born in 76, birthday March the 6th, so. And we've been in Thailand for uh, six years now, uh, in March, so a little over six years. We um, are in charge of the English teachers over there. The ministry is called Invest. It works under IGO. And uh, I do quite a bit of mentoring. Um, we have about 17 English teachers, and I would, between Jolene and I, we do the mentoring and member care at the moment. It has grown to where it's unwieldy. 17 is more than Jesus' 12 disciples, and it's, uh, it's getting a little difficult. So this fall, we have a new member care couple coming, doing some restructuring to get some assistance with that. But uh, I am excited to talk to you about mentoring. I added building the kingdom of God through mentoring and discipleship. That's just because I'm trying to uh, put together messages centered around the kingdom of God. And uh, over in Thailand, I actually preached a sermon along the lines of discipleship. Thank you, brother. And um, how to build the kingdom through discipleship in preparation for this message. That way I could uh, do some study ahead of time. So what I'd like to do is look at the kingdom of God part first. Because I think discipleship's critical in building the kingdom of God. This is the uh, four things we're going to go through. First, uh, look at how it is a part of building the kingdom of God. Second, look at how mentoring is a God-designed way of growing people. And then we're going to look at four tips for a mentor to consider. And then we've got uh, discussion time at the end. So first, let's look at how mentoring is a part of building and growing the kingdom of God. These are some slides I have put together about the kingdom of God. Uh, if, if the yellow represents God, heaven, light, um, whatever you want to call um, the creator God. And then you have the universe that he created, illustrated by the earth and by the uh, white stars and everything. On the earth, you have local churches all around the globe. And God seems to have a special design for his church, global, and that's to be local churches. I don't really think he wants all the churches in one place, like the Tower of Babel. Uh, it seems like he wants his kingdom spread out through all nations, all countries, and so on. If you look at the down arrow, you see that God has revealed himself through creation, the Bible, Jesus, kingdom of heaven, and I believe that that kind of makes the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God here on earth the representation that most people get about or a glimpse of God. So we represent God as his children and a part of the kingdom of heaven. Now you have an up arrow. He's expecting his children to glorify him in response to what he does for us. And the up arrow is ways we can do that. We can worship, uh, we can pray, we can love and adore our God. We uh, sing the song of the redeemed, as it were. It's our testimony. And we shine our light brightly in this world 
as children of God. That's how I'd like to picture it. So, just curious, uh, let's look at the world. This is a uh, percentage of Christian population on a world map. Very interesting, I think. So the really dark spots are 90 to 100% Christian. The really light spots are 1 to 7% Christian. And if you look at Thailand over there, the 1040 window, you'll see we're in the 1 to 7. Uh, Southeast Asia is not at all Christians, mostly Buddhist, Hindu, other religions. So when we look at building the kingdom, what we really need is healthy, excited, vibrant Christians. That's what we need. Do we find that in our churches today? Or do we find people struggling to uh, stay on the gospel road, I guess you'd say? Uh, struggling to live a victorious Christian life, struggling to um, keep a relationship with Jesus alive in their personal life. I think you'll find that it's a struggle for most people to keep the relationship with God alive. But we need it to be alive. If you look at that map, we need it to be alive. We need to, uh, we need to shine as bright lights in this world. So you might think of mentoring people as trimming their lamps, uh, helping them shine brightly in a dark world. It's encouraging them to continue onward and upward. You want to see them learning to walk closer with Jesus, see their relationship with Jesus becoming stronger, more vibrant. You know, our, our faith as Christians is tested regularly. Uh, you don't go through life without some tests and trials. And uh, having someone walk alongside of you can be a big help. So mentoring, discipleship, brotherhood, uh, the local church is God's design for this kind of stuff. That takes care of point number one. Let's go to point number two. Mentoring is a God-designed way of growing and maturing people. Now, here's a bunch of verses I'm going to click across. Uh, but before we do too many of them, I just wanted to make the point that um, God is the one that makes this possible, makes change in a human life possible. I preached a message uh, at a uh, small village out in Mesa Young, about four hours out of Chiang Mai, uh, on the, the, a Christmas miracle, Christmas miracles. And you know all the cute stories about Christmas miracles. But the, the greatest miracle, in my mind, is the changed life as Jesus takes control of a person and changes them for the better. That is a miracle that's really cool to watch. And God is the one that does that or that makes it possible. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. And uh, verse 10, a little earlier in the chapter, says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be pro the propitiation for our sins. So it's our loving God is not some virtue that we come up with. It's a response to what he did for us, if you follow the difference there. It's not that we sit down and conjure up, okay, I'm going to love God. 
No. If you understand what God did for you, love is the natural response of that. And then Philippians 1.6 is one of my favorite verses. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then also Philippians 2, 12 and 13 say, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice the words work out from the inside out. Put it into practice. Verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is the one that wants to do this work in our hearts. That's why you have that verse, quench not the spirit. We're commanded to walk in the spirit. Why? Because God is in the life-changing business. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to purify us. He wants to mature us into his image. So how does he do that? Um, is it just like a one time we pray, Lord, you know, come into my life, take over, and it's done? No, it's a, sort of an ongoing thing. Yes, God saves us, but then the, the journey of life does not magically become a bed of roses. In fact, many people say that when you become a Christian is when the real fight starts, because before that you were off of Satan's radar. Now you're on it, and um, he's going to do his best to mess you up. And so the spiritual battle begins which every one of us is aware of. We live life as a Christian, fighting against uh, Satan and against temptation and against the works of darkness. So now I have some verses just kind of random, just creating a basis for mentoring being biblical. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort or encourage yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Encourage yourselves together. I'd like you to picture this local church, this brotherhood, as being the kind of organism or the kind of thing that encourages each other, that keeps uh, boosting each other's spirits and encouraging ourselves onward and upward, uh, encouraging each other to follow God. Colossians 1, 28-29 says, Whom we preach, warning every man... And teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So he's acknowledging that God is working in him mightily, but he's also acknowledging he has a part to play, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14, take heed, brethren, Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And notice who this is addressed to. Take heed what? Brethren. So it's talking to Christians. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So this is a verse that talks about unto the end. So we're talking about a life here. We're not just talking about five-minute task that we can finish and check off. That it is. Lewis said that's called sanctification. 
The fourth verse I have is Proverbs 9, 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Have you ever heard wisdom from someone and kind of resented it? Made you feel like a fool? I have. I often get pretty down on myself when I make a mistake and people point it out. It's like, oh, I should have known better. I take a little bit of comfort in this verse. It says, give instruction to a what? A wise man. So just because you got instruction doesn't make you a foolish man. It's possible to still have some wisdom in you and receive instruction. Let that be a little bit of a comfort to you. But it is the way life works. We need instruction. We grow. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore comfort or encourage yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Titus 2.3-5 The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. I find this one interesting. This is probably the most direct command that we have, and it's, uh, it's about the women, um, which is just interesting to me. Um, the aged women are supposed to teach the younger women. It's a biblical concept. And it might be included because it's kind of hard to do. I'm not sure, but uh, it's possible. Another biblical thing I'd like to look at is just reflect a bit on Jesus and his 12 disciples. Uh, he only had 12. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Uh, it's just a few phrases there that indicate that he poured himself into these 12 disciples. You could go to a lot of different verses about Jesus and his interaction with his disciples, but um, let's read John 15, 9 to 17. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. This is Jesus speaking. If you keep my commandments... Ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. All things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. So he was pouring himself into these men, talking, teaching, sharing, living, being an example. <coughs> you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Notice that command, love one another. There's a call to love that exists in this kingdom of God. Now let's look at some uh, tips for mentoring. Um, I put four down that uh, I've found to be true in my experience. The first is to believe the best in people. 
Romans 12 says, ooh, I have 12, zero. I think that's 12, 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. That exercise of preferring one another, what does that look like? It looks like you are humbling yourself and counting others better than yourself. Uh, in fact, go to the next verse, Philippians 2.13. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. When you go over some of these, it just gives you the impression of someone who is so godly, so humble, so gracious, so sweet, that I almost said it makes you sick, but that's not true. Uh, it just feels unattainable is the problem. It feels like you could never get there because you have so many human reactions within you. But these are scripture verses, and there is a point to them. Uh, I looked up the International Children's Bible because thinketh no evil is interpreted that way in several versions, but... Um, it has the idea of not keeping a record of wrongs. The children's Bible says love does not remember wrongs done against it. And that's one of the hardest things in mentoring. Uh, if somebody lies to you, if somebody does something wrong against you while you're their mentor, or you don't like what they do, or they respond wrongly, it's easy to start storing up a record of wrongs. And um, it's difficult to just... Uh, find uh, graciousness and patience in your heart sometimes. Just put it that way. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Uh, in the children's Bible that says, Love patiently accepts all things, always trusts, always hopes, and always continues strong. If you've ever mentored people, it can be kind of hard to uh, keep your hope and your faith and your trust in them strong. Um, you, uh, we'll, just, we'll just let it that. <clears throat> Next one, be a safe place for people to share. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Think of the kind of person you want speaking into your life. Who do you want? You want somebody that's honest. You don't want a bunch of beating around the bush. But you also want them to have a heart. Uh, you want them to be uh, nice. You don't just want them to uh, use their words like a baseball bat and kind of uh, impart their wisdom to you to um, fix you. Uh, they're, the, they're the expert and you're the poor victim in need of help. Um, attitude plays a lot into this. Personality can even come into play. But... Um, by being a safe place, you want to be someone who can control your reactions, maybe. I think of times when, uh, as a mentor, people confess things to you. Um, 
often they work for quite a while to get up the nerve to do that. And if the first thing that happens after they finally get up the nerve to confess something to you that they don't like in their life, you kind of blow up and um, tell them they should know better, uh, it's not real helpful. They already know that um, most times, most times. Go to Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, wait a minute, that was a lot of things there. Yes, it was. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So love is going to uh, express the perfection of all these things is kind of the um, picture that I get there. Many times people open up and confide in you because they tire of carrying the load of their life by themselves. They want or need companionship and support in order to push forward with what they'd already know they need to do. They just need someone to know so they're not walking alone. Consider it an honor that they're willing to confide in you. Be confidential, but also be frank with the people you're mentoring about how our problems and our struggles develop us into better people. Don't encourage them to hide sin. Move them toward living in the light rather than hiding things and living in the darkness. Help them to see how their unique blend of struggles and trials Make them someone who has something to offer others as they're willing to share themselves with the people that God brings into their lives. And uh, I would add to that that as you mentor, your mistakes can be your greatest asset. Um, as you mentor, if you, if you can be frank about your failings and mistakes and how you work through those or how you're making progress on those, it can actually be an encouragement to um, the person that you're trying to help. Another one, learn not to take all their problems on yourself. If they see you burdened down with the stress and anxiety of them offloading their struggles and issues on you, they will likely stop doing so. So work at developing enough of strength, enough of spiritual strength, enough of faith, enough of emotional strength that you can handle uh, people's troubles. It, it, can, it can throw a load on you. That's just the, the reality of it. But um, one of the biggest reasons it throws the load on us is because we feel a responsibility to fix it. And I'm suggesting to you that it's not really our job as mentors to fix everybody. Uh, God does that. The fixing is God's business. What we can do is offer the, the love, the companionship, the support that they need, that they're not in it alone. And that alone part is where people lose hope. So when they feel that you actually care enough to get dirty, enough to hear them and enter into their struggle and wrestle with this stuff and pray for them and walk alongside of them, it lifts their spirits. They feel support, and uh, I believe that's how God intended the local church to work. 
Third one, speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. I think that's Ephesians, if I remember right. I missed the reference there. Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 1 Timothy 5, 1, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. The Bible doesn't exactly say not to speak the truth anywhere. It just cautions us on how to speak the truth. Some ways to speak the truth in love are to use phrases like this. Have you considered da da da? Have you thought of trying? I know of one person who maybe that could help you. You can you can often tell before long what a person needs to hear, but they just don't understand. You think you have the answer. If they could just understand this, then they'd be fixed. And um, I'm not gonna say you're wrong, but you know, it's hard to force people's eyes open on issues. It's, uh, it's more normal that you say the truth about I don't know, a dozen times to 2,000 times it feels like, and all of a sudden one day they're like, you know, and they repeat the same thing back to you. And you're like, huh, finally, it sunk in. What makes the difference? I don't know. I'm talking some about child rearing there. Um, when you're with people over a long period of time, you can get excited about the growth you see in their life. Let's go to the last one. Model and teach walking in the Spirit over the long haul. What I was thinking about this is uh, the pursuit of God is a journey rather than a destination. I mean, uh, heaven is a destination, yes, but um, pursuing God is about learning to know God, learning to know what He likes and doesn't like as we live. It's not just like we're trying to uncover what He wants us to be in heaven. No, it's, it's trying to uncover... Uh, who he is right now and learn how to walk in life in a way that uh, pleases him and glorifies him. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. That snare of the devil thing is an important concept to remember as a mentor. Uh, helps you not get so frustrated with people who, uh, who struggle. Uh, you know, what's causing the struggle? If you guys would just get your act together, you could, you know, break free of this anytime you wanted. Well, yeah, that's true. But um, there's spiritual implications here too. It's not just personal discipline. It's not just following this and this and this step and magically they're fixed. It's about God doing his work in their heart, changing them, making them into the kind of person that can find victory over a particular snare. 
John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And again, you see some of these verses, I've used pieces of them before and repeated them a little bit. But the point is the local church working together, loving each other, encouraging each other, supporting each other in this difficult thing called life. That is what mentoring is about. Galatians 5, 16 to 17 says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to, um, to the other, so that you cannot do the things you would. And that's what you run into as you mentor people. You often hear, oh, I just want to da-da-da-da-da. But in their life, they have a hard time making it happen. I would get a lot more frustrated with mentoring if it weren't for the fact that I myself have such a hard time uh, changing. Whether it's little habits like hanging up a towel, whether it's things like keeping my mouth shut, whether it's things like not reacting when I hear something I don't want to hear. Right now I'm uh, uh, asking people, girl, young girls, uh, young girls, adult women, to uh, come and serve at Wisdom Tree Home as teachers. And so I'm conversing with them, and if I think that they're coming and then they say no, oh man, it's just like a sucker punch. Uh, and then I have to craft a message back to them. And um, how do you design that message? Uh, it's, you have to think carefully, like how do I word this? You wanna bless them on their journey, you don't want to just pile a bunch of guilt on them for saying no. Uh, you, you have to be understanding. You have to do what's right. Uh, I say that. That's just probably not a good example. But the point is you have to stop, think, and not just react. And uh, I find it hard to change myself. Therefore, I have a lot more patience with uh, other people to... Um, be patient with them as they uh, let the Lord change them. There's another concept that I had run across, which was uh, trust what God is doing in their life. It's a little bit difficult sometimes. Um, some people would say you should encourage your mentees to do mentoring of their own, which I think is an interesting concept. Uh, teachers often learn more than the students. I know I really got a handle on algebra after I had to teach it at Shady Grove. Um, trust what God's doing in their life. Be encouraging. Some of the things I do is uh, ask them for prayer requests regularly. Now, I get an advantage because at IGO, it's my job to mentor these people. And so I ask them for prayer requests, um, listen to them. Um, Merle Burkholder, a uh, year or so ago, I got kind of discouraged with all of this and needed some mentoring myself. So uh, Merle Burkholder agreed to meet with me once a month 
And um, he often asked me what's a highlight and what's a high point and what's a low point that month. Um, and that helps you to get a bead on what is going on in their life. Ask them for prayer requests, pray for them. Uh, talk about growth you see in their life. Um, don't just be negative uh, saying what you think should be changed in their life, but also be positive and uh, bless them about the growth that you do see and the good things you see in their life. Okay. We're down to discussion time. I put six questions up on the board, not limited to just that. Uh, I would like to hear now your thoughts and your questions. I've done some mentoring, don't really feel like I'm that great at it. Um, would enjoy hearing your thoughts, your ideas, your questions about mentoring. How many of you think that uh, mentoring slash discipleship is a key part of building the kingdom of God? Raise your hand. How many of you think we need more of it? Anybody? Oh, most of you. Okay, then let's go to number one. How might you go about making more mentoring happen? It's funny how we can fill the benches and chat after church, but we can still feel kind of alone in the daily struggle of real life. How can you make more of it happen? Kevin says sometimes maybe we don't understand the importance of it or how important it really is. I think we got that across tonight. So how do you make it happen? How about number two? If you go informal, then uh, should, should, should the uh, older people be uh, offering to mentor? Like, you know, going up to young people and saying, hey, I would uh, be willing to mentor you if you'd be interested. How would that feel? Or is it better to go the other way? Like the younger people should be like going to the older people and saying, hey, would you, uh, would you mentor me? I could use some, you know, life input. Do you ever hear the term life coach? That's a buzzword for the last 10 years I've heard. I'm not real up on it. But the fads in the world are going to come and go. But I don't think the mentoring slash discipleship thing is going to change. There's always a need for people to walk alongside. But how do we make it happen? My guess is the older people think the younger ones should come ask, and the younger people probably think the older ones should offer.
Interesting. So Nate's saying he would suggest the older people take the initiative and get involved in younger people's lives. And then that gives you the freedom to actually try to talk about, you know, their life and ask how it's going and that kind of thing. And then if uh, they hit a time where it is going rough, then you can offer to sit down with them. That might be a way that it could kind of naturally happen. What else? got a question for you. How many of you feel qualified to be a mentor? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Qualified to be a mentor. Okay, I did say feel qualified. Notice there's almost no hands out there. Uh, mine was like the only one up. And I can feel qualified even if I'm not very good at it because it's my job. If I'm not qualified, I'm going to get fired, so I have to raise my hand. Uh, interestingly enough, most older people don't feel like they have much to offer because they struggle themselves. Your struggles don't really go away when you get older. You just they change. You're struggling with this and that, and some things don't even change. You've got the lifelong battle with getting angry or whatever. And so older people don't feel like they have a lot to offer. I suggest to you that if you can keep the focus on God being the one that does the changing in people's hearts, not you, it helps a lot to... Uh, qualify you to be a mentor. What are you doing when you mentor? Are you dispensing the expert advice to the poor person who doesn't know? Well, you might have opportunities to give them your perspective on stuff, but what you're really doing is teaching them how to deal with this life struggle of not being able to change yourself as fast as you wish you could. That's the bottom line. We all wish we could just like, I think it was Lewis here who said about sanctification, that's what it's called. It's like this life journey of struggling with this and that other thing. It's a sanctifying process and it takes a long time and we struggle. We feel the spirit, we feel the pull of the flesh, we feel the pull of the spirit, we know the battle, we know the struggle. If you know that struggle, you qualify to be a mentor because entering into that struggle is what mentoring is all about. That would be my suggestion. So whether or not you feel like you qualify to be a mentor, people can learn from you.
changes the trajectory of it. Yeah. Listening. Yeah. And praying. There is power in prayer. And while uh, prayer is not a magic key that's going to fix your mentee's struggles or the, the, you know, the struggles within the relationships you're trying to have, it, uh, it, does, it does make a difference. Well, that feels a little proud in our yeah. Mennonite circles, doesn't it? Yeah, I qualify. We have a hard time getting our hands up for just about anything. Anyhow. Well, how many times do you hear of some of that victory in certain areas right away they want to put all the others? It gives you, finding victory over a struggle does give you a heart for people who struggle, especially if your fight was long and hard. Um, sometimes the Lord does deliver people, like instantly, from smoking or from whatever addiction. And while, um, while that is wonderful, and I believe the Holy Spirit does that on purpose, those people often have less of a heart for the person who struggles then. Well, all you gotta do is pray, and God just does it. Yes, well, he does. He heals people, but he, you know, how many people did he walk past before he healed that one at the Pool of Bethesda? Uh, he doesn't heal everyone instantly. He lets people suffer as well. Harlan was saying that uh, people who have struggled actually are the ones you want to mentor you as opposed to someone who had a perfect life and didn't struggle. What else? That's good. The thought was you need to show interest. That's how you can uh, get things started. Show interest in people's lives and take the time to build a relationship or start a relationship. What else?
So my initial thought on that would be that a lot of the concepts still apply. For instance, you still uh, believe the best about the person in, but here's where it gets sticky. So, you know, if as an unbeliever, if they're putting all their strength in themselves, uh, how can you, like that, that feels like a recipe for disaster. Like, uh, how can you believe that things are gonna turn out well for them? Uh, you almost have this negative view, well, you know, because they haven't yielded their life to Christ. And my, my thought is, um, walk the walk, like model, model what it means to live in the Holy Spirit, model what it means to be humble, model what it means to not be the self-sufficient man who can yank yourself up by the bootstraps and just be perfect. Uh, show them what it means to fail and grow. Um, share with them real life struggles where you can. Um, build a relationship with them that goes beyond just the, uh, you know, the weather and the work-related things, if you can. Uh, not everybody's open to it. Um, you have to try to, you know, sense the spirits leading there. It's it's not something that you can just go. Uh, pour your heart out and people receive that well necessarily. Um, but as the Lord gives you opportunities, and you can even pray for opportunities if you like, um, your life's gonna speak. That'd be my initial thoughts. How about the rest of you? Does this stuff apply to an unbeliever? A coworker who's an unbeliever? How would that work? I think you could still be a safe place for people to share, still speak the truth in love, still model and teach. It's to believe the best in people. I'm not quite sure how that would fit. But as you, yeah, you can still believe the best in people, I think. There you go. You can still believe that no matter how big of a mess they are, there's still hope. God can redeem them. Let's go to number three. What should you do if the mentoring relationship's not working well for either party? Like maybe it's not working for the mentor or maybe it's not working for the person who's being mentored. This does happen, by the way. Personality conflicts, scheduling, uh, bitterness. Grumpiness? I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for this to fall apart. Oh, no, not that guy again. Why did I ever agree to this? That could be the set of either party, or could be the thoughts of either party. Ah. A mistake, I think. We should, as mentors, be looking for ourselves 
Yes, absolutely. That's a good point, though. If you take your personal identity from the fact that you're a good mentor, and that's a spiritual check mark you want on your resume, you want to, you know, and then when somebody says, oh, I don't need you anymore, oh, your heart breaks and your whole life begins to crumble. That's not the way it should be. Uh, your goal as a mentor is to get people healthy and walk alongside of them over the long haul, not necessarily meet with them every two weeks for a meal so you can feel good about yourself. That would be similar to me having mission work so that I can, you know, bring some converts back and parade them around in front of the church to show that I did something. And it's not about that. Guess what I thought was going with that, or believe that, but where it's not working well, and we look for, say, okay, come with a different plan does not necessarily put me. Yes. Yes, in fact, we need to be okay to do that. Transfer them to other people. And that can happen for a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes even when people don't want to transfer, you still need to transfer them to someone else based on whatever circumstances. One... Mm. One of the visions we probably should need or have would be to encourage more new mentors, or more mentors. Yeah, that's true. We should be teaching each other how to do it. The problem is there's nothing really special to learn. We all have it. <clears throat> it's that wrestling, that struggle. If you're, if you're a Christian, you know how to mentor. Um, you can learn some tips and tricks that might... Uh, help smooth things along a little sort of jumpstart you past your own reactions and struggles maybe but nah, it's it's a it's not a it's not so much about skill as it is about empathy and the attitudes the love the care the concern the involvement one one thing I'd mention on the uh, if the relationships not working well if if you can, put a stop date on it right away. Let's try this for two months. Uh, let's try this for whatever, a year. This is as the mentor, I would suggest. You put a stop date on it. And then you, you give your mentee a checkpoint that way. So you say, hey, so our two months is up. What do you think? Is this something that you'd like to continue? Is this something that um, I, I still have time Looking at my schedule, I'm available, but, you know, if it's not benefiting you, uh, there's no point in continuing it, but uh, just be honest with them, tell them where you're at. That would be my suggestion on that. Should mentoring be a structured and scheduled thing or more informal? What do you think on that one? In the IGO organization, they specifically asked me to make it scheduled because some people don't think they need mentoring, but it doesn't hurt them to just have a check-in point and uh, make sure they know they're not alone. So there's that. But I actually think it can take all forms. 
mentoring and discipleship is something that God designed in that whole brotherhood thing that you're just supposed to care about each other. And I don't think there's a prescribed recipe that has to be a certain formula, a certain way to do it. What do you do if a person doesn't talk? How many of you be a little afraid of that? Like if you get into this, you'd be a little afraid that people wouldn't talk. Any of you? I see a few hands back through there, yeah. Interestingly enough, that a lot of them were women's hands. Uh, just like I mentioned earlier, I think maybe the Bible intentionally uh, pushes a little on you older ladies to go ahead and you know, get involved in younger ladies' lives. Any advice if people don't talk? Learn to be comfortable with silence would be my biggest thing. Uh, you ever, you, you know the difference between comfortable silence and uncomfortable silence? There's a big difference. And what makes the difference? It's whether somebody's uncomfortable or not, right? So if, if you're sitting there and you're, it's quiet and you're both uncomfortable, you know, you, do this little fidgety thing and you can tell both brains are just churning 90 mile an hour trying to figure out what to say next. Well, just relax. Just learn to be comfortable with silence. And if you're comfortable as the mentor, your mentee will be a lot more comfortable too. And as they loosen up, you can ask general questions and just, it's funny, some of my mentees, I say one word at the start and we're off to the races for an hour. And then the next one, you just sit there and then I ask a question and you get a short answer and then you wait. Then you ask another question, you get a short answer and then you wait. But you know, even the quiet ones who don't know what to say and don't know how to open up, over time you learn what interests them you learn how to ask the right questions, and it's interesting to watch the relationship grow. The last one here, I don't even know the answer to it. What's the right balance between letting a person choose their own way and pushing them to the path you feel they should take? I will say that I had more answers when I was younger than I did when I was older. I got frustrated with you gray-haired men. I would come up to you and say, so, as a young dad, I remember doing this. So, Dan, I don't know if I ever picked on you or not. Give me some parenting advice. I remember doing this. Uh, I'd ask for advice. You know, these gray-haired men, they're just like, well, not sure I really have any for you. That was the most common answer I got. <laughs> I, uh, I think that's because the older you get, the more, um, the more fog you see on all this stuff. The less you're guaranteed that you're understanding the will of God perfectly for every person's life. When you're young, things are a little more clear. When you get old, uh, you're not quite so sure anymore. Uh, Lewis says, the more you know that you don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. 
the broader your worldview and life experience, the tougher it is to come up with those uh, one, two, three, and you get the perfect answer and the perfect solution every time. Amen. So true, Nate. Good words to close on. We need prayer as a mentor as well as praying for our mentee. And I would say, you know, make sure that you work things out so that you're actually praying for the person. Don't just say, I want to pray for you and then not do it. Figure something out. Get an app on your phone if you have to or a paper in your Bible or whatever you got to do, but make it happen. Well, thank you very much for your attention. Lord bless you all as you take the opportunities he gives you.